Welcome to this week's energy show. This week, I'm going to be gazing into my crystal ball to see really what's going to happen with solar and energy in the future. I see a really good year for rooftop solar and solar of all of all types. In fact, I see a few really good years. And the main reason is that the federal investment tax credit is secure for another six years. In other words, there's going to be 30% tax credit for residential and commercial solar through the end of 2021. Actually, it goes down to 26 and 22% in the out years, but that doesn't matter that much. And the costs for rooftop solar keep getting better. In other words, the pricing for the panels keeps coming down, which is great. Other electronics keeps coming down. So installation costs gradually coming down. And also... The costs for electricity continue in their overall long-term trend of going up. So the economics for solar keeps getting better and better. And then we have new technologies like energy storage and uh, software that controls the systems. And that's going to make it even better in the future. So just kind of you know, in a nutshell, there's never been a better time to go solar. You can save money right now and you'll be saving money for 20, 30 years in the future. Now, the other thing that's really good, especially for people in California, is that we have a preliminary it's preliminary, but a preliminary net metering decision in California, that, that means that rooftop solar is going to continue to be reimbursed at close to the retail rate, not quite the retail rate, but close to it. In other words, if your electric rate is 25 cents a kilowatt hour, you'll be reimbursed by the utility for, say, 22 cents a kilowatt hour. So that's, that's a pretty good deal. And the reason why that's um, so significant in California is that it, it really improves the economics. It, it keeps the economics good for solar. And also the reason why it's so significant for everywhere else is there are some states like Hawaii and Nevada whose public utilities commissions have made kind of lousy decisions about net metering and, and really, in, in essence, penalizing people who either ex have existing solar systems or are thinking about putting in. So in any case, as far as that crystal ball, it's polished up now. It's very clear I could, because we've got that tax credit and we've got good net metering. So without further ado, here are my 10 predictions for rooftop solar over the next, over the next year. The first, and this is kind of interesting, is that with the ITC extended and net metering extended, it means that we're going to have steady growth, at least in California for the solar industry and also in most other states. We were looking at a situation in 2016 this year where there was going to be a big spike in demand early in the year or towards the end of the year as people rushed to get their systems installed before the tax credit expired or before net metering really significantly changed. Well, the reality is both of those of those policies are solid and in place. So the solar industry can focus on steadier growth. What always happens in industries that have expiring incentives is that there's a big rush for people to take advantage of those incentives before they expire. Well, that's not going to happen anymore. So ironically, the sales for the solar industry in 2016 are probably going to be less than we thought, but they're going to be steadier over the next six or seven years. When I kind of take a quick look at some of the forecasts that were done by Green Tech Media, they indicate a 300 megawatt drop in 2016 from what they had projected if the ITC is extended. But with the extension of the ITC, we're believe it or not, we're looking at a market in the U.S. in 2020 of something in the neighborhood of 6.5 gigawatts. And that's just for residential. I mean, 20 gigawatts altogether, but that's a huge market, big, biggest in the world. So that's great. The, the solar industry in the U.S. is destined to be the biggest in the world over the next five years. All right, prediction number two. 
Manufacturers and installers were ramping up capacity to meet this explosion in demand that they expected in 2016 when the ITC expired. Well, guess what? This ITC isn't going to expire. And so it's going to be a little bit easier for installers to get equipment. Pricing is not going to go up as we thought it may have. It's going to be a little bit stabler. So, in fact, the pricing is going to be stable. I think it actually may go down a little bit more than we thought in 2016 because manufacturers had ramped up production, and uh, now the demand isn't going to be quite as high. It's going to be steadier, which is really, really great for everybody. Okay, prediction number three. The solar industry, especially on the rooftop residential side, is composed of a few really big companies, a number of local, a number of regional companies. So every big city has or big area has a few solar companies that are doing a lot of business, but they haven't really expanded nationally. And then you have lots and lots of small residential companies. And full disclosure, I used to run a national solar installation company, and now it's Cinnamon Solar. We're just a local San Jose company. So I've kind of been through both business models. What's encouraging is that as the pricing has come down really from, you know, $10 a watt, so you're talking about a a system that would cost a homeowner $50,000, you know, right now we're looking at these systems costing less than $4 a watt, which is $20,000, and the pricing's continue to come down. As this pricing has come down, it's been more and more economic for smaller companies, whether they're existing electrical or HVAC contractors or just local solar guys. To compete effectively against the big national companies, they're competing effectively. Everybody's um, doing well. Uh, The other thing is that the financing tools that used to be only available to big companies are now available pretty much to companies large and small. There's loans. There's something called PACE. There's leases that are available to installers of all sizes. So what this really means is that the smaller companies are going to continue to grow steadily. It's not going to be a market that's going to suddenly consolidate around you know, three or four really big national companies. It's going to be much more balanced. And that's really, really good. The other thing that's, a, that's kind of like a sidelight of this prediction number three is that companies are going to operate not on a fully integrated basis. In other words, the national companies, some of them, do their own customer acquisition, do their own sales, do their own installations, do their own financing. What's happening is that companies are splitting up with a hybrid business model. There may be companies that that only find customers, and there's companies that only provide solar financing, and there's companies that only do solar installations. So kind of split up a little bit. And this hybrid business model, I think, is going to continue to thrive. Yes, there'll be companies that are vertically integrated. You know, I, Cinnamon Solar, we're a little vertically integrated company. We, we do everything, but we rely on outside parties for financing if it's necessary. But there's other companies that are going to just do part of that activity. All right, prediction number four. This relates to something called the tariffs that have been in place for several years on solar modules. Now, to give you a little bit of background, about five years ago, some of the U.S. companies that were manufacturing solar panels in the U.S. became legitimately upset that there were inexpensive solar panels coming from overseas, from a lot of different countries, particularly China. And 
the way the way international trade works is we're we're really a global economy right now. Communications, transportation is so good that you know, according to economic theory from Adam Smith, you'd expect that the cheapest places of manufacturing would be dominant in manufacturing, and they would ship products to wherever the demand is, and the economies would evolve in different different locations, whether they're based on particular manufacturing or or, or sales or some of the things. So what happened is that a bunch of U.S. companies got together and said, "We're going to put we're going to put tariffs in place on the Chinese manufacturers of solar modules," and they were successful in doing that. And in fact, this tariff dispute expanded not only to the manufacturing of the solar modules, but also the solar cells in China, and then it expanded not only to China but to Taiwan. And Taiwan is, uh, you know, a democratic, kind of a good ally of the U.S. So it's kind of ironic that we've got China, which is, you know, more of a centrally managed economy, sort of capitalist, sort of communist, and then we have Taiwan, which is a very democratic capitalist country. What happened is this tariff got put in place, and the effect of the tariff is that any solar companies, any solar installer, distributor importing solar cells or solar modules from China would have to pay a 30% tariff duty on those solar products, panels or cells. So what would happen is if the the market price for solar panels was, let's just say, a dollar, and that's what everybody was selling them in at, the U.S. Customs Service would charge the Chinese manufacturers another 30% on top of that. So they would basically be charged a dollar thirty. And what happens is essentially that extra 30% gets tacked on to the cost of solar products from Taiwan and China. It makes them less competitive. Now, you know, there's lots of arguments about whether tariffs are good or not, how they've affected the industry. We're going to kind of defer that discussion right now. It's, it, it could be the, the course of a whole show. But what ended up happening is that uh, the Chinese companies are very efficient. Labor costs are low there. That's just like kind of the reality. And even after you take into account some of the transportation issues from China to the U.S., the landed delivered costs of the Chinese products were still competitive. Now, what also happened, which is why I don't like these tariff things, is that the prices of the U.S. manufacturers were artificially raised. And you kind of look at the world prices for solar panels all over, and the U.S. manufacturers are selling their solar products for much less money overseas than they are in the U.S. Why? Because they can make more money in the U.S. because they've got some protectionist tariffs against inexpensive Chinese products. So prediction number four, what's happened is, as I said, this is a global economy. And a lot of the Chinese headquartered manufacturers, and many of these companies are publicly traded on New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, but these companies said, well, let's just set up production in Malaysia or Thailand or or other countries. So they've done that. And it's very efficient. You can have large solar plants that are making cells and making modules in all over the world. It kind of cuts back on some of the transportation costs. But essentially what's happened is that the Chinese companies have been able to not get around the tariffs, but do their manufacturing outside of China, still headquartered in China, but they're doing their manufacturing outside of China. Quality is good. The quality is as good as anything else you'd see anywhere in the world. And just kind of as a side, I haven't really seen any differences in quality regardless of where solar modules are made. I've been to solar plants really all over the world. 
So what's happened, and this is my prediction number four, Adam Smith's invisible hand will wave away the impact of the module tariff dispute. Essentially, the Chinese manufacturers, the Chinese headquartered companies, are no longer manufacturing in China. They're manufacturing elsewhere and delivering to the U.S. And they're delivering at lower prices than some of the U.S. companies. Now, the U.S. companies might not like that because their profits aren't as good, but they can definitely do better in terms of being larger, becoming more efficient, or, or kind of you know changing their business model a little bit. So there is a vibrant U.S. manufacturing for solar equipment here in the country. Um, there's actually plants right here in San Jose. They make great products. But um, there's also products being made all over the world. So that essentially no longer will the company's headquarters location define their business practices. These Chinese companies and are, are doing manufacturing all over the world. And in fact, some of the U.S. companies, you know, one of the, the, the best and greatest companies is SunPower. They're based here in San Jose, but they don't do any manufacturing here to speak of. They do their manufacturing generally in Asia. All right. Next prediction, number five. In the solar industry, we have something called soft costs. And, and these costs are Everything other than the hardware, hardware, you know, the inverters, the modules, the racking, it's, it's kind of the stuff you buy, delivered, but everything else is a soft cost. And it used to be that the hardware costs, the modules, the inverters, the racking, that used to be the dominant um, cost factor for a system. Well, we've seen great reductions in the prices of all that equipment. And now the soft costs, the labor, the permitting, the, all, all those items, the, the design work, the customer acquisition, those costs are actually quite a bit more than the hardware costs. So what my prediction is, is we're going to continue to see reductions in hardware costs, but the, the reductions in the soft costs aren't going to happen as fast. So essentially, the soft costs are going to continue to go up as a percentage of the total installed cost to homeowners. Essentially, the equipment costs are going to go down faster than direct and indirect labor. It still takes a lot of time to put a system on the roof because there's people working there. And it takes even more time in the back office to do the marketing, do the sales, do the accounting, do the financing, do the project administration, the design work, the permitting, all that. That, that takes more. Now, it's possible that we could dramatically reduce the soft costs. And in fact, Germany and, and some other countries have shown that if they standardize the financing, standardize the permitting, the design, the interconnection, the equipment requirements, and everything's kind of the same throughout a big country, you can dramatically reduce those soft costs. And in fact, Germany's total installed costs are, are literally half of what they are here in the U.S. But we're not really – we haven't quite been able to accomplish that yet here. And hopefully someday we will in the U.S. have – very low soft costs because we have more of a national approach to solar installations. Not really hard to do. You know, I, I dream about this being a prediction, a reality, <laughs> maybe in, in three or four years where we'll have kind of national standards for solar installations. But right now, unfortunately, we've got 18,000 different cities around the country, each of which has their own rules for solar permitting and, and solar design. We have over 3,000 different utilities, each of which has its own rules for interconnection. And that just is just a maelstrom of complexity and it makes it very hard for the industry to scale up. So my prediction, once again, soft costs are going to continue to go up, not down. And that's kind of too bad because that's where our biggest cost-saving opportunity is. All right, number six. Even with slightly higher interest rates, and the Fed's decided to start to gradually increase rates, and it's you know not a lot of it's not a big percentage increase. It's like less, it's like a half a percent or something. But even with a slight, slightly higher interest rates, homeowners 
are going to have even more choices for financing their systems. Now, cash is always king when it comes to financing solar. And, and most of the installations we do here at Cinnamon Solar is based on cash. But we're using other financing tools right now. In the past, I've used leases and PPAs. Now, what we're finding to be most popular are PACE loans, Property Assessed Clean Energy, and we've talked about that before. And also just standard bank loans, credit unions, regional banks, national banks, and specialized solar lenders are getting into the business of loaning people ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for a solar system. And it's a great deal for the homeowners, and it's a great deal for banks. I mean, the homeowners might pay $150 a month for their payments on their solar system, and they'll save, say, $200 a month on their electric bill. And that $150 a month payment is usually fixed for, you know, whatever the term of the loan is, 5, 10 years. And that $200 savings is only going to go up as electric rates increase. So more and more choices for financing for homeowners and also more choices for commercial customers. And this is kind of a big change that paces out there right now. It makes it very easy for an owner or even a, a lessor of a commercial building to borrow money to put solar on the roof to reduce their operating costs. And, you know, you'll get the same metrics. You might pay $20,000 or, you know, pick a number, right, $20,000 a month for a system, and you might save $30,000 a month on your electric bill. So, you know, very, very good positive cash flow, good economics. Okay, number seven, because we now have longer-term certainty in the solar industry, tax credit's good through 2021. There's going to be a commercial tax credit after that. Net metering is solid in a number of states and costs continue to come down. That investments in all segments of the solar industry in the U.S. are going to increase. Now, there's been a little bit of a hiatus over the last few years for venture capitalists and companies to invest in the U.S. market. I mean, companies building factories here in the U.S., they were kind of saying, well, you know, we know the U.S. could be a really big market, but the tax credit is going to go away in 2016, so why should we invest a billion dollars in a plant? Well, that thinking has completely changed right now because there is that certainty for, for many years to come. So overall, the investments from venture capitalists, from companies, from other sources are going to increase. And they're going to invest in manufacturing in the U.S., which is terrific. They're going to invest in software, in technology, in new business models. And all those things are going to further reduce the costs for solar in the U.S. So it's, it's really good. And, and that's why the, the extension of the investment tax credit was, was really such good policy. All right. Prediction number eight. Rooftop solar companies are going to clean up their act when it comes to fair marketing practices towards consumers. Now, there are companies out there, and it's tempting because it's sometimes low-hanging fruit, easy to close a sale, but there are companies out there that are going to, let's just say, exaggerate the savings that you may get from solar or underestimate the costs of solar or maybe not portray a perfectly accurate picture of what financing a solar system is going to be all about. Yeah, heck, about 15 years ago when I got into the solar industry and we started doing door-to-door -door sales, I was watching the movie The Tin Man, which was about a bunch of Baltimore aluminum siding salesmen in the 60s. And it just kind of exactly reminded me of the way some solar companies operate. They'll do whatever it takes to close a deal. And they'll close those deals, and then they end up with unhappy customers. And what's really unfortunate is that that 
unhappy customer sometimes is really unhappy and they'll complain to the Better Business Bureau. They'll complain to Congress. There'll be consumer protection complaints. And so there's the solar industry is big enough that a few of these, let's just say, unethical companies or circumstances, and it could even be a rogue salesperson at a, at a bigger ethical company, they've created enough of a problem that a number of government entities, states, uh, public utilities commissions, attorneys general, have said we're going to try and crack down on the solar industry. Now, that's kind of a problem. Unfortunately, it's happened with, with car loans. It's happened with mortgages, things like that. In the solar industry, we're doing our best to police ourselves. And there's something called the Consumer Protection Guide that was developed and published by the Solar Energy Industries Association that all of the companies in, in the solar industry that are involved in selling to consumers are expected to abide by. And this consumer protection guide lays out the the legal and the ethical practices the company should follow when they're working, when they're marketing and selling and servicing customers. It's very hard to make every single customer happy, but you know, if we are doing the right thing and being ethical, we could really continue to build a very good, strong business without the what I call the tin man taint. Okay. Prediction number nine. 2016 will not be the year of residential battery storage, although we're getting gradually closer. Now, you think about the trend that's happened in solar since, you know, 2000 and prices have come down really steadily. The battery storage industry, whether it's residential or commercial, reminds me very, very much of the solar industry 15 years ago. You've got a very, very good economic proposition for commercial customers. They can do load shedding. They can take advantage of time use rates. And then you've got, in some locations, a decent value proposition for homeowners who also can do load shifting and take advantage of time use rates. But what's happened is we're still not quite there. And the reason why this looks so much like the solar industry is that they're really good incentives for battery storage systems. And those incentives are driving the adoption of battery storage systems and gradually and steadily, just as in the solar industry, reducing the costs of deployment, reducing the total install costs to homeowners and reducing the total install costs to commercial customers. Now, right now, the biggest market for battery storage is clearly on the commercial side because the value proposition is a lot clearer. But that's definitely going to happen for consumers also. And the other thing that's 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 out there is that as utilities continue to, let's say, push back on net metering, the solution to somebody who's not able to net meter is, well, I'll just store the electricity I generate during the day and I'll use it at night. So the technology will overcome the efforts from, from regulators to, to try and maintain that utility business model. But it's going to take a few more years for battery storage really to take off. But the companies, there are a lot of companies out there that are making terrific progress right now. Okay, prediction number 10. Product differentiation of solar components, solar systems, is going to be even more important than ever because there's so much cost pressure. Smart companies are going to be avoiding what I call the commodity race to the unprofitable bottom. They're not going to just be providing cheaper components. They're going to start integrating things, things like AC modules, things like inverters with built-in capabilities, uh, remote shutdown, monitoring, things like that. You know, battery systems that are really integrated and not just a, a bucket of parts. So that's that's how the industry is going to reduce costs. There's certainly investment go- that's going into that, and the investments are, are are resulting in enough deployment so that we're able to improve that technology. Now, the, the, the flip side of the coin to this product differentiation is customers. And customers of solar equipment are not homeowners or, or business owners. They're usually the installers. 
they're going to be looking more towards not necessarily premium price products, but products that provide the best bang for the buck, products that have all the reliability and performance features without paying a lot of extra money for a brand because these things are, are pretty much, they are indeed commodities. And, you know, a good solar panel from company A is going to generate as much energy as a good solar panel from company B. All right. Well, those are my top 10 predictions. And that's all the time we have on this week's energy show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 